Brad's on, but his camera's turned off, and then Adam's also on, but his camera's off, so he's not showing up on the... Okay, so we do have a quorum? Yes. Okay, then uh, I'm going to turn it over to Michelle to for us to get started. All right, good afternoon, everyone. And we are going to start with Sam um, giving us a little bit of information, I believe. Yeah, the uh, special Zoom instructions. Um, yeah, got it. So, uh, <laughs> just as a reminder, um, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. Uh, during the meeting, when you're not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. Uh, you'll just have to remember to unmute yourself every time um, when you want to speak. Otherwise, we'll just see your mouth moving and nothing will come out. Um, please remember to state your name clearly every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely, um, as well as uh, right now we have it set. So if your camera is off, you won't really show up on the screen, but we'll still be able to hear you. Um, so if you're having camera issues, just make sure you're able to, to state your name beforehand. Um, you can turn your video camera on and off by clicking the video icon. Um, for the purposes of this meeting, when you are participating, please keep your video on um, when possible. If you have any issues, can't really help that. Um, if you are participating by phone, um, you can click star six to unmute or mute your phone uh, when you're not speaking. Uh, for those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you'll see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Um, speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view will show all the meeting participants. Um, board and staff members here in City Hall will st uh, state our name every time we speak as well. Uh, let's see. All motions will need to be stated clearly. Uh, after a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on the board members individually uh, to provide their vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Uh, Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Uh, Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located on the bottom right of their screen. Um, for those calling in by phone, you must use dial, uh, dial star nine. Uh, individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear in the meeting or host screen. Um, when they are called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. Um, and the chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology um, and that are here in the room. Uh, we will limit public comment to the regular three-minute time limit. And I believe that's it. Thank you, Sam. Mm -hmm. um, Britt, just for my own knowledge, who is in the meeting or in the room in person there? Uh, yeah, Madam Chair, this is Britt Crumcano, Economic Development Director. I'm in the room along with Sam Camp, who's our Economic Development Analyst, and our City Manager, Craig Owens. And then we have Kurt Henning, who's running the show um, behind his veil of monitors in the back there. <laughs> Okay. All right. Um, and is John Matthews going to be attending today? I don't believe John was going to be able to attend today. Okay. I just want to make sure I knew which members were in attendance. So, all right. Well, we will start with the agenda. And the first item on the agenda is to approve the minutes for the March 2nd, 2022 meeting. So, um, board members, any um, feedback on that? 
Anybody want to make a motion? This is Kate Lorenz. I'll make a motion to approve the minutes. All right. Anyone second? This is Kay Emerson. I second. All right. We'll do a roll call vote on approval of the March 2nd, 2022 minutes. Um, Adam Ritchie? Aye. Brad Burnside? Brad, are you there? Right. Christina Gentry? Uh, yes, I approve. All right, Kate Lorenz? Yes. And Kay Emerson? Hi. And all, Brad, are you there? All right. Well, um, we have a, and then Michelle fails, I vote in favor. So we have one, two, three, four, uh, five eyes and um, a no response from Mr. Burnside. So based on that, we have approved the minutes from March 2nd. 2022. So the next item on agenda is the election of the chair and vice chair. And so we need to entertain some um, nominees for that. Anyone want to nominate anyone? This is Christina Gentry. And if we could, Michelle, could we go over a little bit of the responsibilities that the chair and the vice chair hold? So maybe that would be another uh, understanding of how uh, and what responsibilities would be um, assigned to these positions. Sure, I can tell you what um, I've had to do, um, which is facilitate the meetings, um, keep the agenda going. Um, sometimes I'll get a question from Brett or Sam in regards to uh, upcoming meetings, but uh, that's pretty well um, it as far as chairing. Um, and then the vice chair um, has had to, like when I was fighting COVID, um, the vice chair sat in and, and facilitated the meeting on my behalf. Um, I don't know, uh, Britt, do, could you want to elaborate any on those? No, I think that covers it pretty well. They, well Sam and make it pretty easy, to be honest with you, Christina. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Michelle. I was just also curious about maybe um, some other actions. Um, are you ever asked, for example, to uh, give maybe a small presentation or, or maybe do an update or a follow-up with any of the discussions that happen within this board uh, or within this this commission or, or any of the, the um, meetings? Like, say, for example, if the... Um, if our uh, commissioners are maybe stuck and are deadlocked into voting uh, based upon some of the recommendations that this committee uh, contributes, are you asked then to maybe kind of give a follow-up or maybe give any more information that the boards uh, or this meeting or meetings that we've spoken on um, to kind of give more of a context? Are you ever asked to maybe present to the commission for some, some of the actions that are spoken on on this board is really what I'm asking you. Yep. 
Um, yes. Um, uh, for example, the uh, uh, Dover construction that we uh, considered at the last meeting, um, uh, the gentleman uh, that presented that did touch base with me and asked me if I was going to be at the city commission meeting. Um, I, I had another board meeting at the same time, so I was not able to attend, but I did draft a letter that basically detailed the uh, tie vote and what the concerns of both the uh, nays and then the positives that the A's sent uh, or considered from that discussion um, and sent that letter in. I believe I did that one other time, and I uh, same thing, I think I had another board meeting that same evening, and so I couldn't attend but I believe it was the um, oh the uh, rent control apartments there at ninth in Pennsylvania um, I believe that but that's the only time I've been asked um, while I've been chair to actually speak at the meetings um, and elaborate um, and both of those requests came from uh, the parties um, but I've never been uh, contacted by a city commissioner um in regards to the vote directly okay thank you for that um contact michelle just kind of wanting to maybe uh understand a little bit more about your position some and maybe some other folks know what their capacity uh would look like if they contributed as chair um if we didn't nominate you as chair again and to continue to hold that oh. position so thank you for that i think i've done so we might need some new uh blood <laughs> Um, so, but yes, if you guys uh, want to, uh, let's see, I, I have something in chat. Okay, just says that Brad is having some audio issues. So, all right. So, any nominations or questions? Hi, Michelle. This is Adam Ritchie. Um, who is the current vice chair? Um, Brett, isn't that John? Yes, Madam Chair, this is Brett Cremcano, Economic Development Director. Yes, I believe it is John Matthews. And I guess my, my follow-up question to that would be, uh, Michelle, it sounds like you are or would be more than willing to step down as chair. I will or stay on. Relinquish. Either way. So it's um, whatever is recommended. Okay. I'll be on. Not a lot of work. Like I said, Brett and Sam make it easy. So they do the hard work. <laughs> hey, Michelle, it's Brad. Can you hear me? I can, Brad. Thank you. Um, I, I, I would um, make a motion that you and John continue in your current positions. All right. Is there any um, second to that motion? This is Kay. I would second that motion. All right. We have a motion on the table for Michelle fails to uh, chair and John, I believe it's Matthews, um, to stay on as vice chair. Um, he's not on here to tell us uh, if he's willing to do that, but, and 
And so based off of that motion, that was a, a motion by Brad and a second by Kay Emerson. Um, Adam? Uh, aye. Um, Brad? Aye. Christina? Yes. Kate? Aye. Kay? Aye. And I'll uh, say aye. So with six uh, A's and zero nays, um, that motion does carry. Um, and so I guess I get to continue on with the meeting, huh? <laughs> All right. Um, so thank you. Um, so our next uh, item on the agenda is to review the 2023 funding request from the Economic Development Agencies and provide recommendation to the city and county commissions. And so I believe we're gonna start this with uh, Craig Owens and the City of Lawrence Strategic Planning. Is that correct? Strategic plan. Yes, it is. All uh, right. Good afternoon, uh, Craig Owens, City Manager. Uh, I am uh, really pleased to be with you all today. My first visit to the PERC, and um, I, I want to express my appreciation to the work that you all do, um, especially in uh, your leadership roles. So congratulations on that uh, continuation. Um, we have about 47 boards and commissions. So um, what I've been trying to do over the last few months is meet with uh, each of those or particularly the ones that are a little more active and that come in direct contact with the strategic plan and just go through the strategic plan and kind of present it. Um, it is the guiding document for the work that the city does. It's adopted right, by the evening, city commission and, and has been the uh, deeply invested in our, our budgeting process this for the first time this past year uh, and will continue to be the guide that um, where the allocation of resources in the direction of our activities as a municipality, but also as a community are. So it's really important that um, we share that um, and keep that kind of front of mind in the work that we do. So that's why we're, I'm offering this and I'll, I'll be quick with it and then hopefully respond to any questions um, that you may have on it. Um, so this, uh, you may remember about five years ago, there was a strategic planning process. I call it the blue copy. So it was, it was a, a good starter set as a strategic planning document for the city um, that kind of acknowledge that if you want to do hard things that take a long time, uh, you, you need to, to be proactive and lay out the plan and prioritize. And that's what this really did. It introduced strategic planning for the first time to, um, to the city of Lawrence. Um, and I, I think it was good that it gave that introduction. I think it it uh, it did provide um, a couple years of guidance. But when we um, started our work, and when I I first arrived here at the city, we we recognized that there were some things that it needed to uh, include, and it was a good time for us to um, to renew the strategic planning. So we set about doing that work on a platform of of deep listening to the community, um, with the guidance of um, the Novak Consulting Group um, and. And um, a lot of effort from our city uh, teams, we uh, started a listening process um, and it, uh, I asked for 20 
um, about 20 people to help us with our work, volunteers throughout our city staff to go out and listen to the community in this way. Um, I, I received about 50 people that wanted to do that work. So I was really excited that they were so excited. And what that allowed us to do uh, was train 50, um, 50 of our folks that are also members of the community. And I think that was um, what we found out was that was so helpful because we didn't want to just put a microphone in the middle of the room on a Tuesday night and say, ask people what they want. Um, we do that. That's an important part of the process. But if you rely on that, you're going to get kind of the same voices. Um, what we wanted to do is get invited to where people were already gathering, dreaming, talking about what they wanted for their community. In this in this very unique and, and diverse community, we wanted to understand uh, all the perspectives we could possibly get. So we sent everybody out to get those invitations. We sent everybody out to listen um, to um, different groups. We have a standard process. We did some some tabling exercises at the library or out at the uh, at the community centers, but we also um, we also engaged people that uh, you know we don't believe are typically invited to the table. Um, all told, through that process, we got about um, three thousand participants to give us their ideas for what they'd like to see for the future of this community. Um, so we went about the work of then digesting that and interpreting it and condensing it into um, five areas that we, we identified as outcome areas. So what are the things that we'd like to see in um, in our, com our community's future? What are the important top priorities and how do we group those together? And um, the city commission um, eventually adopted those. I called them the curia curators of all of the, the um, information that we gathered. And it, it really, it does uh, constitute the strategic planning framework that we have. I contrast this one from the previous one in that um, this really is a statement of everything that we've been told um, the community expects and wants. Um, and it, rather than a list of things on top of the expectations of everything else we always do that gets taken for granted. And those of you who um, understand prioritization, you, you can't, you have to account for everything that is a burden to you or that's a challenge to you in if you want to add to the list. And so this one does that. And when we have a strategic planning framework like this, it's important that uh, we kind of recognize there has been a legacy of expectation that's in the community, the things that this organization is, is bound to do, there's resource to do, but those expectations need to be accounted for and renewed, uh, the renewed alignment to the top priorities in the community. So that's the work that we've been doing. This last year was the first year that we adopted a budget that was aligned around these priorities. And then you're speaking about the next next year, the second year of that plan and what it should do. Um, so uh, when we adopted this, the five outcome areas, and if you'd share a screen, please, Britt. So the, the way we organize these around these five outcome areas are unmistakable identity, strong welcoming neighborhoods, safe and secure, prosperity and economic security, and connected city. And these are all, this is straight from our website. So um, you, um, 
I hope you have a chance to look at it. And when you click on each of these, it drills down and shows our, our key performance indicators and the strategies that we've developed and that we're going to continue to work on to try and make progress in these areas and then report back to the community. So as an advisory body to um, the city commission, um, your work in helping us move forward in these areas is, is vital. So um, that's why I'm visiting with you today and uh, making sure that uh, you, you've seen this and it's a helpful to to you, but also that you can contextualize the advice that you give to the elected leadership um, as we're continuing to uh, make decisions. The second part of this, and if you'd scroll down a little bit further, Britt, that um, makes it more challenging for us in a strategic planning process, but I believe makes it better and really the only way that um, a, a community strategic plan can be um, can sustained is that we we said what we do is the outcomes, but how we do it is just as important. And we really heard that from the community as well. The way that we do our work is important. And so there are six commitment areas that we've um, that we've adopted along with this, uh, along with the outcomes. And those are community engagement, efficient and effective processes, equity and inclusion, sound fiscal stewardship, engaged and empowered teams, and environmental sustainability. So we consider these to be the lenses that we look at um, the work that we do and see progress. So we need to account for the all six of these perspectives. And many have kind of referred to these as a reflection of the values that we have. So we have to keep in balance all six of these perspectives. Um, when we're measuring progress and when we're trying to make plans. So as I said, it makes it more complex. It makes it more difficult, but I believe that it makes it much better and fits this community this uniquely. Uh, and I think will help us you know, really drive success uh, in the work that we're trying to do. So that's the, that's the basic framework. That's what I wanted to share. I think you can yeah. Um, and uh, I'm happy to answer any questions um, about this. This has been guiding our work deeply over the last probably year and a half, even before the adoption. The development of the words that are behind her were very careful um, and we took a lot of uh, interaction. Um, but I think um, as we start to really try to implement this, I think it's really been a good design and it has been uh, useful to have a strategic framework like this in the work that we've done. Happy to answer any questions. This is Kate Lorenz. Thank you for that. I have one question, um, if you don't mind. Um, I was just kind of curious because, as you mentioned, the, the context for the decision making, I think, is really, really helpful. So I'm very glad for that review. I'm wondering um, how you and perhaps Britt or Sam, um, you might want to comment how you feel that the application materials and guidelines, um, I'm thinking particularly for our committee, um, but perhaps for other committees as well, if you think the materials um, reflect some of that context and kind of give clues and guidance as to um, those community values and, and commitments and, um, and areas of concern, or whether you think maybe um, there might be some room to infuse that a little bit more. So I I don't have any, I'll stop there. I was just kind of, it's a question out of curiosity more than anything. Yeah, Kate, this is Brooke Crumke, Economic Development Director. Are you talking about the proposals that you're going to be reviewing? Exactly. And I know that these organizations we're talking about today um, are 
probably well familiar with that. Um, but for um, I'm thinking more for the requests that we've reviewed um, from companies that may not be as familiar with Lawrence. Uh, yes. This year, we had them actually submit what what are called budget proposals memos, which is exactly what all of the city budget committee teams have to do. And they were specifically directed to tie their um, requests as closely as possible to the city strategic plan and show alignment. So yes, they were directed in that. And I believe in I believe we went through them and felt like they did a pretty good job of that. Got it. Thank you. Uh, this is City Manager Craig Owens. Uh, one thing I neglected to mention was that uh, each of the outcome teams has a champion. Um, they are uh, almost all department directors that would generally be expected to be there, but they do lead teams that include um, our commitments and representatives of the commitments that help guide the work as well. Um, and um, Britt Krumkano is the uh, champion of the prosperity and economic security team. So I wanted to let you know kind of how we're organized around this. We still have our traditional hierarchy and department structures, but we also have teams that are uh, doing a lot of the work uh, behind all of these and that are um, really um, embedding each of the commitment areas in those. So it's important to kind of see what that structure is. And, and I'd also say on this particular one, and we were kind of lucky, I think, when we were developing the strategic plan, um, that we we also brought in the engagement of the Ernst & Young team that was helping um, us develop the city's economic development strategic plan. And so a lot of our community partners that are also now on the commitment team, uh, especially externally, all participated in those processes. And I think there was a really tight alignment because of the timing of that. And then of course, uh, the chamber did its work of uh, uh, developing its strategic plan and capital campaign. And so I think there was just a lot of um, really good alignment that went into this particular outcome team. I wanted to mention that. Yeah, and if I might add, Kate, on all the proposals, I put an exhibit A in there, which is basically a framework that shows how um, the city strategic plan, the economic development plan align and our short-term priorities. So at the end of every proposal was a reference exhibit A showing that framework. Yes, and thank you. I appreciate that. I was just thinking in some of the questions from last time, there seemed to be, um, there seemed to be, um, it, it seems like some of the things, concerns that were brought up were, were, um, I just don't want to be surprising the <laughs> the applicants with questions that they may not be aware uh, might be coming based on uh, things in the application. Yeah, they should be pretty well prepa prepared. Um, they've been directed many, many times Great. to uh, <laughs> Thank talk you. about their alignment with the, st the strategic plans. All right, this is Michelle. Is there any other questions for Craig? And Brett, there's no uh, action that we need to take on this line item, correct? Uh, the only thing is when we'll listen to the presentations and after each presentation, then the um, PERC membership should vote in terms of whether they recommend 
the budget proposal or not. Right, but for the strategic plan, do we need to vote on no, that? Also? No, this was simply okay. an orientation. Okay. okay, that's what I thought. I just want to make sure. So, all right. Any other questions for Craig before we move on? All right. Thank you, Craig. Thanks again for your work. All right. We do have one board member that has conflicts with uh, with the chamber and the KU funding request. So we're going to move on first to the Peasley funding request um, and then go back to the other two. Um, and so um, we do have a request from the Dwayne Peasley Technical Training Center. Um, and um, Britt, are you going to state anything before I send it over to Ke Kevin and uh, Andrea? No, Madam Chair, you can just roll right into these presentations and let each of the different agencies go ahead and present. All right. All right. Well, Andrea and Kevin, I believe it's your show right now. Thank you. I'm Kevin Kelly with um, Dwayne Beasley Technical Training Center. And joining me today is Andrea Travis. Uh, and, and we're glad to be here today and have this opportunity to talk about um, what's happened at Peasley Tech and what we plan to do going into the future. We have a brief uh, uh, presentation that we'd like to share. Thank you. Okay, we already told you what our name was, so here's what our building looks like. Um, the, the Dwayne Peasley Technical Training Center was formerly uh, Honeywell. Uh, originally, it was the aviation radio uh, manufacturer here. Uh, and uh, a number of years ago, the, the city of Lawrence, and uh, well, actually seven years ago now, uh, the city of Lawrence and um, the county and the economic development uh, corporation um, set out to create a opportunity for local folks to be able and receive technical training and also in support of our businesses. Briefly here is our, our, our mission. Um, clearly, it's about economic development. That's what, our, that's what our job is. And we do that through training people and providing services to our area businesses. Um, so, uh, the, actually, the, the, technically, the, the operation was started in 2014. Uh, uh, originally, it was a home for community colleges to offer programs, uh, which was a good way to start. Uh, but by 2017, it became very apparent that we needed to be providing training directly through Peasley Tech. And we were approved by the Kansas Board of Regents as a post-secondary provider of training. And we began offering programs. And you can see each year more and more programs. Apprenticeships began in that next year and continue with both uh, across several sectors, uh, we provide support in manufacturing, uh, healthcare, uh, building trades, and uh, transportation. Those are our main uh, areas of support. Uh, we've continued at programs the last couple of years. Um, uh, even through the pandemic, new programs were added. Um, and also in this four weeks ago, uh, we opened the um, 
The Crunch, which is a business igniter and prototyping center here to help support existing uh, local businesses and help develop new businesses related to, uh, to, to manufacturing. Um, in 2021, we, uh, we enrolled, uh, we had uh, 2,296 enrollments across all programs. That represents about 1,300 individuals because some are enrolled in more than one program. Um, and uh, we provided uh, on-site or direct training uh, for more than 20 companies in the community and, and continue to grow uh, with that. Most recently, and how Andrea joined us, we were awarded the State uh, Apprenticeship Expansion Equity and Innovation Grant to expand um, opportunities for apprenticeships in our area. Um, and we're through that grant, we are now um, Sorry, I don't. I hope it's not so loud that you can't hear us because I think it's a background noise from this monitor that we're on. Um, we're one of seven organizations awarded the grant. We've already begun adding new programs. Um, our most recent one, I, I think, was a, a program with the city of Lawrence. Uh, we we have a um, uh, we've used to grant funds and we'll train approximately 24 people initially in commercial driving, uh, and that is uh, about a $60,000 training program uh, that we'll uh, be able to provide through the grant funds for the city of Lawrence. Uh, through this, before we even got this grant, Peasley Tech uh, is the largest provider of apprenticeships in Kansas, a program, apprenticeship programs in Kansas. And with these new additions, we'll be adding probably four or five new programs in the in the short term and, and many more over the longer term. It's a five-year grant opportunity that we have. Um, we began a bylaw revision process in 2022, uh, where our board will be appointed the, uh, rather than self-appointing. And I'm seeing we're missing something on that slide because uh, our plan is and our request is that our board be appointed by the Douglas County Commission and the uh, Lawrence City Commission. Um, glad to answer any, there's a little overview, glad to answer any questions you might have about Peasley Tech. And then, of course, regarding our, our um, request for uh, operational funding for 2023 uh, fiscal year. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Um, board, anyone have any questions for Kevin or Andrea? Hi, this is Kay. I, I do have questions um, that I'd like to ask. Um, so one of the questions uh, that I first wanted to ask um, was as it relates to um, your uh, programming. So uh, one of the things that, as we know, um, uh, with K through 12, um, we've been seeing this decrease uh, of enrollment. So I'm kind of curious about the enrollment over at Pe Peasley is uh, have you 
experiencing like an, an increase of interest in the programs and therefore the expansion? Um, or are there any programs that um, you guys have been reviewing that may not have as high as enrollments um, and we are looking at reducing? So that's my first question. Okay, um, actually our enrollment continued to grow last year by about 18% over the previous year. Um, as far as the, uh, we have relationships with all the school districts that have um, have students in Douglas County. Uh, our largest partner is of course, the Lawrence Public Schools. Uh, we operate the GED program for the district, uh, English as Second Language and Testing Center here. In addition, uh, we provide training uh, for high school juniors and seniors. Uh, well, actually, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and um, in welding, uh, auto mechanics, and, and construction, building trades. And so, uh, we've actually had a significant increase in demand over the last few years. I think the pandemic has led to that. Uh, what we found during that time is. Um, People start reevaluating what their future might look like. Uh, we had many, many people lost jobs in hospitality that came to Beasley uh, to um, to change careers, uh, to go to another area. And the unique thing uh, about the careers at Beasley is that um, they're all considered essential workers. All of our people were working during the pandemic, um, and so. I think that helped bring more people to us. Uh, and, and hopefully uh, we can continue that trend because uh, as you may know, there's a severe shortage, a severe shortage of people trained in skilled trades across the spectrum uh, from, you know, and every skilled trade job uh, is in high demand and, and in shortage in terms of workers. So if that didn't answer your question, please, uh, I'll clarify further, but thank you. Thank you um, for answering that question. And then my last question uh, with uh, on this is uh, when I was looking at the proposal, you guys had talked a lot about how many graduates you have. Um, but as we know, one of the things that we're wanting to do is actually see these students become employed. So I was curious about how you're tracking that employment um, aspect of it. And if that is something that you guys will uh, be focusing on a little bit more uh, as you're thinking about future reporting? Um, actually, uh, for most of our programs, our goal is one of two things. If they're in an apprentice program, we have them employed, they're full-time employed in order to be in the program. If they're in our other programs where possible, and some places it is not because they have to have a credential that they've earned from us before they can work in the field. But in most fields, we get people working in the field that they're training to go into within the first three weeks of class. So we work with a lot of employers. Uh, the good thing is right now it's, it's kind of in a way easy because employers are so desperate for uh, for people to come to work. Um, and, and so I, I think that unless we, you know, the economy uh, takes some kind of a, a, a unusual uh, direction, the the demand is so high and the available market is so low that we'll continue to be successful in placing uh, our, our folks uh, through the programs here. Uh, one I would like to mention, we also house the Workforce Center uh, at Peasley Tech, which is a source not only for intake, 
but a, a source for output for uh, for placing people as well um, through our partnerships uh, with with the workforce center as well. That's really refreshing to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions from the board? Okay, if there's no other questions, I'm just gonna make a comment, um, just kind of to, uh, to the kudos of the Peasley Center. Um, for the last two years, um, we have had uh, the Leadership Kansas class come and visit the Peasley Center. And um, when we get our surveys back, what is always gets the most glowing remarks is the Peasley Center. It is kind of, as one person from this class put it, it's a hidden gem in Lawrence. It's, a, uh, it's not well known yet. Um, the word's getting out there. Um, if I'd have any recommendation, it would just basically to do a little bit more promotion. And, um, you know, I know you guys are working on that, uh, but I just wanted to let you know um, that that has always been the highlight of the Lawrence Day is the Paisley Center. So I think that speaks very strongly for you guys and uh, the management that you guys have out there and the uh, employers, whether it's LMH or Very Plastics or whoever that you support. So just wanted to point that out um, to you. So thank you. Um, any other questions from the committee? Hey, Michelle, this is Brad. Yes. Um, I'd like to make a motion that we approve the request that Peasley has made for funding. All right, Brad, anyone want to second that? This is Adam. Uh, I second that. All right. So we have a motion to accept, um, approve the uh, Peasley funding request, uh, Brad, and second by uh, Adam. Um, so I'm just going to do a roll call vote. Uh, Adam? Aye. Brad? Aye. Christina? Yes. Kate? Aye. Kay? Yes. And I am an aye. So with uh, six ayes and no nays, the funding request for Peasley has been approved. Thank you, Andrea and Kevin. Thank you. Thank you very much. And by the way, I really appreciate that comment about uh, the uh, uh, about the leadership Kansas. I was in Wichita at a presentation last week, and several people said, "Hey, we were over at Peasley Land. Really enjoyed your visit." So, thank you all very much, and we appreciate your time and consideration today. All right. Thank you. All right. So we're going to jump back up to the chamber funding request. I believe. Um, Mr. Burnside is, um, he's already left the meeting. So um, he is going to recuse himself um, from the next two discussions. So um, is it Steve that's speaking for the chamber? Michelle, yeah, Steve, this is Steve Kelly, the Vice President for Economic Development for Lawrence Chamber EDC. And I will be speaking kind of leading off and then also Ryan Rains uh, with the Chamber EDC and then Christina Meese, who's with the KUSBDC, will also 
speak because uh, we're all part we're all partnering on this presentation. Great. And then if if Ryan would bring up, uh, we've got a slide here that that'll just be backdrop, uh, and then I'll give a little background on where these numbers came from and uh, what our role is and, and and some of the things that we've been working on. And then we'll kind of turn it over to Ryan and to Christina to speak about specific elements of this. Uh, the Chamber and Economic Development Corporation of Douglas County uh, has been tasked and has been working hard on a number of initiatives in the economic development space. Uh, and I think it was mentioned earlier by uh, City Manager Craig Owens, uh, our recent capital campaign and, and some of the, the efforts that came out of it and how consistent or how well aligned they are with, with some of the city's objectives and their economic development strategic plan. And just to give a little backdrop of our organization on a five-year basis, every five years, does a capital campaign to provide private funding to support the economic development efforts uh, that are also supported by the city of Lawrence through the budget that you're reviewing. And we also receive uh, or have traditionally received roughly the same amount of funding from Douglas County. And so it's a combination of city, county, and then pretty significant private dollars that we do in our fundraising campaigns, uh, which again are five-year campaigns. And our four primary platforms on this most recent campaign, which was just completed last fall, were job creation and economic prosperity, innovation and entrepreneurship, workforce and talent development, and then housing and land development. So those are the four areas of focus for us, which, you know, if you look at, at you know, what came out of the Ernst & Young work and as we're working forward with the city's economic development strategic plan, there's a great deal of alignment there. Um, and we're working on some very specific things, more uh, focus on targeted business recruitment. Uh, we're working very hard in the, uh, equity side of entrepreneurship. We think that's a critical opportunity and, and a space where we need to be. And a lot of the information that's informed this effort has come from the uh, anti-poverty and jobs plank of some of the work that's been done by the Douglas County Health Department and others. Uh, we're significantly involved in that at this point. Uh, also, a kind of a plug for Christina and the work of the KUSBC, the, the work and the support they provide to entrepreneurs and small businesses is very, very valuable. Uh, and they have seen uh, a, a steady increase, I would say explosive, but but I'll let Christina talked about the actual descriptors, but a significant rise in the number of, of cases and people that they're working with. And so those are all parts of what we do. We, we market the community. Uh, we work with existing companies, trying to help them grow and expand, strengthen their businesses add jobs, add capital investment. Uh, again, we're working significantly with entrepreneurs, which would all let Ryan and Christina talk more specifically about that. But just to, to kind of roll that into, or into just kind of a, a little bit of a finality here, and then I'll turn it over to them. You see before you kind of a snapshot, and this was through mid-year or late year of last year. Uh, some of the work that we had done over our last for it was about four and a half years at that point, capital campaign. We were involved in 915 
direct new jobs uh, in Douglas County, and that's not any indirect or multipliers. That's actual jobs of, of companies that we directly work with. Uh, sometimes supporting them with uh, counseling and helping them. Sometimes it's accessing funds to support their business expansions or their locations here. Uh, that came to about $43 million in payroll, new capital investment of over, of not quite, but, but approaching $300 million, $280 million plus. Uh, the average wages of the jobs that we worked was, was in the $47,000, $48,000 range. Uh, we also have, uh, we operate a funding, uh, a gap funding program through Network Kansas. And through that program, and these are for entrepreneurs and, and small businesses, provided 14 loans. Uh, we also have been able to identify some additional grant opportunities for several companies uh, to a total of $13,500. We uh, have also become, and, and Ryan deserves a lot of credit for this, pretty adept at finding other sources of loans and grants for some companies uh, have, have gotten, you know, over $300,000 of additional funding through some of those avenues to support local companies. And then we've also, we're very interested in workforce development and see that as a, as a key, not only for our companies that are, that are in some cases struggling to find employees, but I think it's also very important to upgrade the skills, upskill folks in the community so that they're in a position to have better employment, more secure employment, better benefits, better pay. Uh, so we've been working with Peasley and last year provided 20 scholarships to upskill folks in the community um, for better positions, better opportunities to help them support a, a more consistent and a better lifestyle. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to, to Ryan to speak a little bit about our a couple of the enhancements, and that's what Ryan will talk about, and that's our entrepreneurship program for minority and, and women-owned businesses. Uh, initially, we were going to do it for minority uh, applicants, but Ryan can talk about that, and then Christina will will close talking about the, the good work of the SBDC and, and the things that they're doing to, to help individuals and small companies in the community. Ryan? Thanks, Steve. So as Steve mentioned, this is a snapshot. When you think about uh, base funding, that's where a lot of this uh, gets supported out of, um, particularly this Lawrence Metro loan when it comes to entrepreneurship has been accessed, um, you know, 14 times over the last, well, since 2017 for gap funding. So uh, up to 60%, up to $45,000 of a project, and that can vary from year to year, but Network Kansas essentially provides those funding sources. Um, and then they have additional statewide programs. So we manage a local program. Um, Jill Jolicoeur with Douglas County manages a local program as well for the Douglas County e-community. And then there are statewide programs. And that's where those additional loans and grants come from that we've been able to tap into to try to help um, entrepreneurs access funding, uh, try to help financial institutions get loans done, and then um, uh, make it all work so that folks can get to their next step. And so um, there is uh, a challenge, and that is that, uh, and I'll stop sharing this for a second, um, roughly 5% of our businesses uh, are owned by persons of color within Douglas County. Most of those businesses are within Lawrence. Um, and so 
one of the things that we we recognize is that we need to do a better job of trying to support persons of color owning businesses within our community. And to be clear, um, there are certain ethnicities that we've been tracking through an organization called Data Axel that Bert Kermkano was was uh, helpful in us uh, finding and, and accessing. Um, we realized that uh, a study that was done by the Brookings Institute in 2015, and then also uh, some work that's been done by Dale Gines with the Federal Reserve Bank, um, identified that access to capital, uh, networking for business resources, and then training opportunities are three barriers that exist uh, for persons of color who are trying to become entrepreneurs. And so in order to increase the percentage of entrepreneurs within our community that are persons of color and try to um, remove some of those barriers, um, we are, we've created a, a networking space. We had our first event last month. We're going to have our second one this month where we are highlighting existing resources. So that's that business networking for business resources piece. Um, we're also obviously encouraging networking among each other. And so since that meeting, for example, um, a Facebook group has got started for uh, black businesses to connect with each other. There's about 70 members in that Facebook group now. That didn't exist before the gathering. Um, in fact, a question was posed in the gathering, how are businesses communicating with each other? And it became clear that there wasn't really a great channel for communication yet. Um, and so someone stepped in and created that group and obviously quickly got some momentum. Um, the other piece that we're looking to do is provide 12-week training courses uh, through Hira Cherie, who has Entrepreneurial Business Basics. She's out of Kansas City. Network Kansas, our partner, uh, is a part of Kansas Commerce. Uh, they have certified her 12-week her, uh, training program. And so we'd like to take advantage of that and offer that to businesses within our community to participate in to help them get training. And that would help that training space. So business networking for, net, for uh, business resources, training, and then um, capital. And so we think about a revolving loan fund, um, similar to Network Kansas's existing revolving loan funds, but this one will, um, will be a lower entry point. So we're hoping to create a revolving loan fund that will not need a match. Uh, right now, in order to access the gap funding through Network Kansas, you have to have a public source of capital to match uh, in order to, uh, to use that gap funding. And so we recognize that that's still a barrier for some folks that have good ideas, but maybe don't have collateral or there's other reasons why they can't find a public match. And so we are seeking to build a revolving loan fund to help um, serve this portion of our community. And we believe uh, that by creating the networking space first and trying to um, get a, a good sense of culture and get folks together, that we can leverage that networking space to feed into a 12-week training program, which is a two and a half hour a week commitment. So it's, it's more intense um, and, and it's not going to be a great fit for everybody, but for the folks that are ready and that want to participate in that, we want them to be able to. Um, and then uh, also out of that training program and out of um, awareness that we're getting from, from doing these services and programs that we will have some great leads to build our evolving loan fund. Um, it's our intention that we're able to provide childcare at these things so to remove that barrier. Um, we haven't done that yet. As I said, we had one event and um, that's uh, something that we're working through. How do we do that? And at the same time, create experiential learning opportunities. Uh, for example, whether that's at Peasley Tech or whether that's uh, at a different uh, incubator farm um, or something like that. 
how do we create childcare in those situations? Um, so we're working through that right now, um, but we're hoping to be able to do that. And then our intention is also to have an advisory council that would help us um, make the loans, review the loans, sort of build the guts on how the loan works um, and how it functions. And so we expect to pay some consultants, uh, persons within the community, persons within this, this group uh, that we've began gathering um, that uh, can serve us as consultants that we can pay and to help us build a revolving loan fund. So in a sense, having our customers at the table with us, because uh, that's who we're intending to serve with this. And so that was really some great feedback that we got from Christina Meese and um, Christian Hopkins and uh, over the KU Small Business Development Center. Um, so that's a little bit about what that extra uh, request is for and our intentions with that. I will, um, I mentioned Christina. And so if she could mention a few things about the KU Small Business Development Center, they serve a um, extremely critical role within our community. When you think about the amount of resources that are available for small businesses, um, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've referred businesses to the KU Small Business Development Center. Um, and how many positive things I've heard back uh, after they spent time with Christina and her team. Christina, would you share a little bit about uh, the Small Business Development Center? Yes, thank you. Can everyone hear me? Yep. Perfect, perfect. So hi, everyone. My name is Christina Meese, and I am the new regional director for the KU Small Business Development Center. I recently took over this position from our longtime director, Will Katz, who was with the SBDC for over 15 years. Prior to my role as director, I actually served as a business advisor at the SBDC for over four years. So for those of you who are not familiar with the KU Small Business Development Center, we offer completely free and confidential advising services to new and existing businesses. We help businesses at all different stages of the business life cycle, whether they're just getting started or currently in existence. We cover a number of different topics from business planning to financial planning to marketing, market research, and so much more. If a business doesn't know what to do, where to go, or they just want to know how they're doing, we can help with that. We have access to some really incredible resources that we can share to businesses to help make the, the path of entrepreneurship a little less daunting, and it's all at no cost. As I mentioned, our services are completely free and confidential. So our goal and our mantra at the KU Small Business Development Center has been to do great work and help people, and that truly drives what we do every day. So we serve on average around 400 businesses a year, though in 2020, it was just under 500. We provide over 2,500 hours of one-on-one -on -one advising, working directly with small businesses. On average, we have helped small businesses grow their revenue over 10 million each year and access over 15 million in new capital investment every year. We also help on average 40 businesses start every year. And the jobs that we've impacted through our services are around 700 created and saved. <clears throat> so we strive to be an excellent um, resource to the small businesses that we serve, but also an excellent community partner. We work closely with various organizations throughout the community to help promote healthy entrepreneurship in Douglas County. Um, historically, we've averaged around 500 hours of community engagement each year, and we hope to see that number grow. Um, we have a lot of great community resources, and I truly believe that if we work together, we can really make a difference. Um, so currently, the KUSBDC has a team of two. Um, we have a business advisor and a regional director, both that offer one-on-one -on -one confidential advising services. 
Um, however, in order to sustain and increase our support to the small business community and increase our participation in community efforts, we as the KUSBDC also need to grow. Um, so we're hoping to increase our funding so we can bring on another business advisor. Um, and by adding that individual to the team, we can increase our capacity to serve more small businesses. And also it will allow me as the regional director to participate, further participate in some activities like the Ernst & Young strategic plan and then also other community efforts. Um, and then, you know, continuing to do great work and help people, which is going to be our guiding mantra endlessly. So that is the SBDC in a nutshell. I just want to thank you all for giving me the opportunity to share more about what we do. And then also I want to finish by saying I absolutely love what I do at the KU Small Business Development Center. And I'm so inspired and energized by the work. And so just to be able to share what we do with all of you is wonderful. So thank you. Madam Chair. Yeah. Would it be would it be appropriate again, Steve Kelly, VP of, of Economic Development for the Chamber and EDC? Would it be appropriate for me now to just kind of summarize what our asks are before the uh, the the group actually takes action? Sure, that's great. Okay. Thank you. Well, and 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 you have all seen the the information, but but current our current request uh, involves the following pieces: that we have a request for operations, the continued operations support of, of existing activity similar to what we've done at $206,000, which is an increase of $6,000. We've been receiving $200,000, I think for the, like, the last nine or 10 years, it's been a consistent amount. We're asking for a small increase there uh, to 206, so a $6,000 increase. We are asking for additional support for the SBDC. They have been a partner with us and, and have been part of our budget ask uh, for the last number of years. And that, that again has been at $20,000 each year, but with the level of activity they have, and I think the potential that they have, we think it's very appropriate for them to receive additional funding. Uh, so there's an additional request, a bump of $10,000, if you will, to $30,000 annually for the KUSBDC. And then the other uh, uh, component is the Additional, the support that we're asking for our minority business support effort, uh, primarily RLF, but some of the other activities related to that. And I will uh, indicate to you that, that we, again, as I said, that we also receive funding from the county. We have asked for similar amounts from the county. So what we're doing is we're leveraging the resources of the city and the county and our private resources um, to try to accomplish the work of economic development for Lawrence and Douglas County. So with that, I, again, very much appreciate the opportunity for the three of us to be here today, and we will stand by for questions. Great. Thank you, Steve. Um, so committee, any questions for Steve, Ryan, or Christina? Hi, uh, this is Kate. Um, and so I'm first going to start off with um, I uh, appreciate the time that you guys have been able to come here and speak. Um, I, I definitely um, see how the chamber um, requests and the enhancement of the SPD um, 
uh, makes sense. I do have some concerns, though, in regards to um, as a person of color um, hearing um, about this initiative. Uh, I think, you know, the ideal is good, um, but I, I there is a lot of unknowns uh, that are still um, not answered. And I think that that the that you have an opportunity in where you have a group that can help inform this to form this initiative because it, it sounds like um to to me um that uh, you guys had came up with an ideal but it, it's not quite vetted out uh with the actual people that you are hoping to um to impact because again you had noted that two and a half weeks uh commitment there might be some people who can't come um and you know there there's that you don't know if there's going to be child care and then you think about you know what are those barriers for people of color to be able to get training um and then there's also this assumption of the needs that they have so um i want to start there um kind of letting you know um my initial impressions so Is now an appropriate time to respond? That's fine, right? Okay, Brian Rains with the uh, Lawrence Chamber and the EDC. Okay, I appreciate your questions. I think they're extremely valid. Um, to be fair, and I probably should have led this by mentioning, you know, I'm a 37 year old white guy uh, that's had a lot of privilege in my life. So trying to figure out how do we best serve our community um, to create economic opportunities in the future so that Whereas persons of color make up roughly 18% of our population right now um, and only own roughly 5% of the businesses here, uh, how do we create a different future? And so um, I will tell you that I think it's extremely valid um, to ask, you know, why aren't some of these things ironed out a little bit better? Um, but, or I should say this, the, the path that we have chosen um, and much of that's probably been, you know, my responsibility here is to try to build it with the people that we're trying to serve and to make sure that we're actually making the table bigger, not necessarily creating something and then taking it out um, and trying to get everyone else to participate in it. And so in doing that, that means, for example, that we're not exactly uh, sure what the the how the revolving loan fund limit will be for a loan, for example could be 15,000, could be 50,000. Uh, we don't expect it to be 50,000, but what I wanna do is I wanna get people that we are trying to provide this for at the table, like Janine Coulter, like Elson Martinez, um, some of those folks in our community that have been fortunate enough to meet to say, how can this best serve you? And the reality is uh, with ARPA funds and some other things, there's a moment in time that seems to be the best moment to step in and try to make change. And so we're trying to do that, but we're trying to do that collectively. Um, and, you know, our first event was last month, uh, even with the childcare, we don't want to, you know, to, to spend a lot of our resources on childcare, for example, if participants don't show up with kids or they don't need childcare. So we're trying to be sensitive to essentially what our customers are looking for, uh, but doing that through a budget request. Um, so I, I do appreciate um, your, your question and, and your thoughts, and um, I guess I'll, I'll just say we're continuing to learn and I'm continuing to learn, um, 
that advisory council is representative of, uh, I think, the best way forward, because frankly, I don't need to be the only person making decisions. Um, as a white male, I don't need to be the only perspective in the room. Uh, we already know that white males access capital at a much higher rate uh, than other persons. And so as we're building um, this team, you know, I'm hopeful that it'll have a lasting impact in our community. Uh, this is a Ryan. I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I guess my, my question, my simple, simple question is like this 12 week class, um, was this something in where your community members that you met with said, this is what we want. Did they say that in the, in the competencies of these training, this is, this could help us fill that gap. And so it's it, it just being one of the things I think about, uh, you guys are looking at and employing the, the project timeline is looking at starting in um, the spring of next year. And so my question is, is this something in where you guys could go back to the table, talk with your group, and then come back like next month or the month after once you've been able to figure things out. So that's kind of where my question is. There appears still to be some time um, for this request to get approved with what you guys are wanting to do, but being able to come back with more information. Sure. And, and I'll say, um, cause I think that's a valid question, right? And we're planning on having our first class in June or July of this month or sorry of this year. And so that class is about $17,000. One of the great benefits is that they pay a facilitator within our community to help put that class on. And so we're also connecting more people in our community. We're bringing more resources into our community. We'll expect to have a partnership in that and not to cover that all ourselves um, if we're able to get that class on, which we're expecting to do. Um, I talked to Kira Cherie, who teaches that class, and uh, I think she felt so much momentum. She's coming out of Kansas City. I, I won't speak for her. I'll just say she's very confident that we won't have any problem filling that class because there is there was so much excitement at the first meeting. And she felt like there was so much interest in people wanting to get training. Um, and so our goal here is really to try to step in with folks who have side hustles. They've got two or three jobs and folks that have great ideas. And this is their only job and meet everyone where they're at and say, how do we help you get a little bit more training um, so that you can help get your business to the next step? And there seems to be a strong appetite for that. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll see when the class, uh, when we do it, um, and, and see how many folks are able to participate, but there certainly seems to be, uh, so. Thank you. And, and if I might add, uh, we in, in investigating and, and looking at this curriculum, this, this is a curriculum that has been used by several other communities in state and in the region. Uh, and to this point, it has what we have heard and what we have seen has been very positive. It's been uh, very positively viewed. And so there was some track record in history. And again, um, you know, we're, we're trying to make progress and, and are trying to do it in a thoughtful manner and in incorporating folks from the community that we're trying to positively impact so that they can have a big hand in how this operates and what we end up with. Uh, but I do appreciate your questions. And I think as Ryan said, I think they're very valid. Hey, so this is Christina Gentry. Uh, so I had a couple of questions and, and thank you for the presentation. I really do appreciate all the information shared and the collaborations that are taking place within the chamber. Um, 
coming back to uh, speaking of uh, of a demographic that uh, maybe is not represented uh, in the way of business in our community, um, I'd like to know the chamber's demographic makeup of its board. Um, are there board members that carry demographics for the the um, the priority population that you're trying and, and attempting to affect uh, positively as far as business is concerned in Lawrence? So ultimately I'm asking, are there people who, who identify as BIPOC or um, have uh, maybe uh, other, other marginalization um, that are also part of your board makeup? Um, and if so, how many? Um, and then maybe that kind of can answer the question about um, who are you serving as far as what is the makeup and the build of your board and your structure and what they look like? I believe that the makeup of our board in terms of persons of color on our board is higher than the community's population, but don't quote me on that. Um, I would need to go back and look at that and I would be glad to do that for you, Christina. And sorry, Ryan Range with the chamber and the EDC. Um, absolutely. I, I would be glad to go back and get that for you. I will say when we're thinking about this particular work, again, part of what has been so critical for us, frankly, is to reach out and engage portions of the community that historically have not been engaged. And so part of what we're looking for, even with this advisory council, that's not a, you know, a, that's not an empty seat. We're looking for people that are literally going to be able to make decisions about who gets financial resources in our community, where those resources are going to go. Um, hopefully that money then through a revolving loan fund will come right back into that fund and we'll be able to get it right back out to more participants and more recipients. And um, it's been, you know, exciting for me, frankly, uh, to get to meet more people in the community and get to engage, be engaged that way. Um, Mandy Infield at the United Way uh, has been really helpful. She's connected with, Jan with Janine Coulter, who served as an advisor on that uh, racial equity grant that they did. And so we've learned some from Mandy and I'll continue to learn from Mandy. I'll learn from Christina. I'll learn from Dale Gines. I'll learn from Kara Cherie. I'll learn, you know, um, uh, Jill over at the county, any way we can learn to try to do a better job of engaging more people for this work, I think is critical for us. Okay, thank you very much, Ryan, for answering to the question. I think it's more of a, an answer that still needs to be, because um, I'm thinking that there's more and more information that you can share about the board makeup. Um, but it, in the interest of, or in the vein of loans and grant opportunities, this is not a question. This is more maybe of a support that are a service or something else you can look into maybe exploring, uh, Ryan, as you said, that you're ex excited about learning from others. Um, but in the vein of the grant opportunities and, and supporting local entrepreneurs and adding supportive services for those who are in jobs now who need to retain those jobs for individuals, um, may I suggest uh, maybe talking to tenants at homeowners? Um, and I say that because as a tenants at homeowners was, has and had received a grant uh, as well, um, I think this is a couple of months back, but in collaboration with other community champions uh, with life experience, um, they were able to um, work to a structure of a microloan uh, 
uh, it was named and called the reciprocity loan. Um, but maybe you could talk to Nicholas Ward, Tennessee homeowners, and talk about that and understand some objectives and the parties who were involved in that process. You're not recreating the wheel um, because if something has been done like that, it was something similar to what you're trying to accomplish, but maybe on a smaller scale because there's a smaller pot of funding that they were working with. But maybe there's something else that you can communicate with to understand the the measurement of success and what that would look like for certain demographics as they're trying to understand how to come into business or even people with their very first loan um, application they filled out. Um, and then what, what the rubric was used for that. So that's maybe be an option for you to explore um, as your group, as the chamber is looking towards expanding opportunities to really be inclusive um, to our demographics that are maybe struggling or maybe need a little bit more assistance to be financially uh, viable or to be uh, successful and whatever that word looks like uh, for other individuals of color in Douglas County. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Ryan Range with the Chamber of ADC and also mentioned we're also leveraging what's called an Empower Fund and that's a pilot program that Network Kansas is doing around the state right now. Um, and so we're keeping an eye on them as well and how they're doing that um, to kind of learn what's been successful, but we don't want to necessarily cookie cutter it and just, you know, push it in our community either. So I appreciate that, Christina, and uh, I'll reach out to Nicholas. If I may, Christina Meese with the KU Small Business Development Center. Um, the SBDC has agreed to work alongside the chamber in this revolving loan fund to provide additional supports. And so if someone isn't able to take a full class, they can still work with the KU SBDC um, in an advisory capacity, we meet businesses where they are. And I really emphasize that accessibility in terms of what they need to know and what will help them be successful. So we're going to continue that support alongside what they're doing. Also, one thing I do want to say, um, I come from a minority background, low socioeconomic background, first generation college, also first person in my family to have a master's degree. We also, our colleague Christian Hopkins is Native American, also first generation college. And I just wanna say that the chamber has been really supportive in elevating our voices and getting us involved and learning from our perspectives as they're developing these programs. And so I do really appreciate that on their behalf. And I would like, wanted to share that comment as well. Hi, this is uh, Kay. I, I had one more question as you guys were talking. Um, so uh, if I'm understanding this right, um, so the so in order to uh, essentially be eligible for the this revolving loan, you would have to have completed these 12, this 12 week class. Is that what I'm hearing? Hi, Ryan Rains with the Chamber and EDC. Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, okay, we're figuring out what the requirements would be for that revolving loan fund to be an okay. applicant. So, and if we and if uh, we didn't um, particularly fund this uh, the twelve week training, would you guys still be able to move forward with it? Not at the level that we would like to move forward with it. You know, this budget request is for twenty twenty three, so we're hoping that when we get to twenty twenty three, you saw our timeline. Um, we'll have. We just had our first networking event last month. So we'll have a foundation in place that we can begin to offer more classes. Um, as I mentioned, Kira said um, she thought there would be no problem in filling the class. We can fit 20 people into a class. Um, and we're, you know, we, we're trying to network and, and uh, that's 
part of the reason I wrote down Nicholas's name a second ago is because we want to get this out to as many folks as we can, because we think there are people with good ideas in our community um, that frankly just, uh, they haven't had the opportunity to access capital to try to help them get a business started. And so, um, so we're trying to be as ready as we can, knowing that uh, there's a severe underrepresentation of people uh, in terms of business owners. And, um, and we think, you know, with access capital and the training and the networking being such a big piece of that, uh, from all the research that's been done locally uh, in the main states and then also federally across the country, um, it just makes sense to try to have as much resources as possible to get folks uh, to their next step. Right, committee, any other questions? I have a few, but I was going to let everybody else ask first. All right, well, I'll go ahead and ask mine. Um, so um, with the minority business support, um, where did that come out of? Was there um, just other communities that brought this up to you? Was it, I guess I'm, I'm just wanting to know where the root of that was. Michelle, this is Steve, uh, Steve Kelly, VP, Economic Development, Lawrence Chamber and EDC, and, and Ryan can comment on this as well. This is something that we have observed, and, and as Ryan referenced some of the literature, it's been a fairly consistent theme across the country. Uh, I had had discussions actually with the SBDC a couple of years ago about their sense of whether something like of some sort of minority support, minority revolving loan fund might be something that was valid and needed in our community and had talked to some people who said that this might be something worth looking at. As we went through some of the process with the anti-poverty and jobs plank of the community health plan, one of the emphasis was is that the value of, of supporting more minority and women-owned businesses in the community, which again, I think spoke to some of those same kinds of questions and issues. Uh, we then started, we did some, we reached out to some other folks, talked about the experience of other communities. It continued to come up. So it's been kind of a consistent uh, theme that this was something that a community like ours could very well benefit from, that it could be important for uh, portions of our community that haven't had access to capital, that haven't had the ability to start businesses at the rate of maybe other demographic groups. And so as we went through the process, there were a number of different things that seemed to continually point at this as an area that perhaps there needed to be more focus on. And so it became one of the themes of our capital campaign uh, as part of our effort to support entrepreneurship. And then more specifically, this portion of the community which you know in many ways has been underserved for forever. So it's 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 a number of things, but they've kind of culminated in this effort. Right. And excuse me, this is Brett Crumkino with the the city. Uh, if I may also I'd like to point out that this strategy to enhance and support women and minority-owned businesses is both a strategy in the Ernst and Young development, community development strategic plan as well as the city's strategic plan. Right, okay. And um, Ryan, the first meeting that you held um, in April, how many attendees did you have? 
We had right around, I think we had right around 20, 25 attendees. I want to say around 12, 17 entrepreneurs. I'm trying to remember everybody that was in the room at the library. And um, of those that filled out a questionnaire, 58% said they had never heard of Network Kansas before which validated why we were having those networking meetings because we believe that the resources weren't getting out to people in the community as well as they could. Okay, great. And then I understand you're still kind of working out the criteria for this possible loan fund. Going to try to do it a little bit like gap funding, but maybe without the um, supplemental funding. Is it correct? Yeah, and I'm sorry, Ryan raised with the chamber and the EDC. That's correct. Yeah, our intention is that it will be a lower barrier, uh, easier accessible, or sorry, easier to access source of capital for folks that have good ideas, but that are not currently bankable. Okay, and that's where your committee will kind of help design that program and then um, kind of set up the criteria going forward on that. Is that correct? That's correct. And just to elaborate on that a little bit, um, part of the reason that we're doing it that way was because we realized we're starting to create, um, we, I, I started down the pathway a little bit of getting more of it refined. And then I realized I was starting to determine what incentives should be in there. In other words, for people to continue to meet with the KUSBDC and things like that. And just got some wisdom from Christina and, and others that said, um, you know, it's not a great idea to start making, uh, choices around this, I think, without the folks at the table, which made a lot of sense. As Steve mentioned, we put this RLF, the Revolving Loan Fund, in our capital campaign, and we raised some money for it. Uh, but this work really needs more than just a bucket of money. It needs um, more support. And uh, we've actually, I don't know if I can share this really quickly, um, but we actually, this uh, Douglas County um, anti-poverty plan, uh, the jobs plank, so we've made commitments within that plank to raise the percentage of BIPOC owned businesses. Um, and we're essentially working through the commitments that we've made. Data Axel provides us with a registry of local owned businesses. Um, we've identified sources for funding and, you know, we're raising awareness of state and federal certification programs. We'll have Rhonda Harris come in hopefully in the next several months to talk to this group about being certified. Um, and now we are, we've researched microloan programs. We're building them. Um, and we're getting the resources to put them together. And so we're working with Jill Jollicorth at the county, as Steve said, we're in, we're hoping that we'll be able to tap into ARPA dollars to support this work as well, which seems to be a really great place for some of those ARPA dollars. Um, so again, trying to tie all these things together to have a community-wide impact um, to serve a portion of our population that is severely underrepresented as business owners. Great. And then my uh, last question is for Christina. Um, Christina, do, does the uh, KU Small Business Center track um, the number of individuals that come in by um, race and sex and so forth or not? Yes, we do have an intake system that um, individuals who want to work with the KUSBDC completes. We do track um, demographic information. Okay, and any idea off the top of your head, the percentage of individuals that, um, like the percentage of uh, Blacks that come in that might be able to gain the benefit of this program? 
So based on my, I, I can get those exact statistics to you, but we see around 15% of the businesses that we work with um, would identify as a minority owned business. Um, and then over 50% are women that we work with, women aspiring or existing business owners. Did you say one five for the women or five zero? But over 50%. So I think when I calculated okay. it for 2021, it was around 65% women-owned businesses. Wow. Okay. That's okay. Awesome. Okay. That was the questions I had. Um, any other questions for the committee, from the committee? Um, Madam Chair, this is Kate. Um, I guess um, um, my question is more for you. Um, I, uh, you know, I'll just be pretty honest. Um, I, I, I definitely, um, I kind of go back to where I was at the beginning of this um, and where um, I could see um, with the, the, what they have already asked the enhancement of, C, uh, of the um, additional uh, employee. But I, I think that um, this enhancement um, just needs to be worked out a little bit more um, and, for them to come back. And so this is a different, um, I guess, motion or whatever. So I, I just wasn't quite sure how we would proceed. Um, again, I'm only one person on this committee, so. Well, let me ask a question to Britt before um, you make your motion, if that's okay. Um, Britt, my understanding is their funding requests are presented once a year, is that correct? Yes, Madam Chair, that is one that is correct. And if you wanted to, you could probably separate out the operational request from the program enhancement request. Okay. Does that help, um, Kay, in, with your motion? Um, I, I didn't hear uh, what Britt had said. Uh, can you repeat well, it for me, please? Well, the funding request um, that they that the chamber puts in. Um, they can only request that once a year. So if you want to make a motion, you can either do a motion to and separate out portions of what their request is. You can make a motion, you know, to approve it as presented. You can make a motion to deny. So does that kind of make sense? So you could say, I, I approve the motion. If your concern is with the minority business support, you could say I, but you are fine with the other two items on their uh, budget request. You could present a motion to approve operations and SBDC, um, but not the minority business support. You can separate it out, if that makes sense. Madam Chair? Yes. This is just a question or a point of clarification. I thought when Ms. Emerson was was in her comment just a minute ago, I was talking about an additional employee. Did I hear or understand that correctly? Because there's no request for additional employees in the in any of our requests. Kay, do you want to clarify? That was for this is. Uh... Yes, that was for uh, this CBDC, because uh, um, it looks like um, that. Is 
you're cutting out, Kay. But Christina, can you clarify, does your request um, in any way, you're not planning on increasing any employees, you just have already, you're maintaining what you have, correct? So the hope is to increase our funding to not only with city, but also county and um, our host institution funding to be able to hire a third person. Got it. Thank you. Is that what you're referring to, Kay? That is correct. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. So do we have any motions that would like to be made? Uh, this is Kay Emerson. I'll make a motion. So um, I make the motion to approve uh, the chamber's request um, of the operation and the enhancement of the uh, CBC um, um, funding and to separate out um, the request for the minority business owner, um, minority and women business owner. Um, enhancement. Okay, and before I take a second, I want to make sure, so you'd like to, to take two separate votes, is that correct? I think that's appropriate. Okay, all right, and is there any second for this? This is Christina Gentry. I'm going to, I'm going to second that. Um, and I, and I don't know if I have to give a reason why I don't think it's necessary, but I think the concerns that are coming, um, from Kay and, um, and then some of the questions that, that I've asked about the board membership representation and demographics as well, I'd still want to know more information about, um, how this minority business and women owned business is going, uh, the 12-week training program is going to continue. And then also if this funding request can't be supported by the county in case we find at this PIRC that this is just not enough information for us to approve. Uh, so I mean, that's a question that could be directed uh, towards one of the presenters here. Uh, so I would ask if, if we were to say, let's just table the minority and business owned um, uh, requests for funding until there's more info that's provided, understanding that this is a training program and that there's a lot of other things to iron out um, that we have heard or that I've heard speak on today. Um, is, is this a request that the county can fund in case we decide or make a recommendation not to? This is Steve Kelly, the VP Economic Development for the Chamber and the EDC. Yes, it's something that the, the county could could potentially, we have made a request to the county, so they could take action on it and approve uh, on their part the uh, support for the program minus the, the city. You know, certainly our hope was that we could move forward with support from both, but, I, you know, certainly the county could take action on their own. And then we're also planning... As is mentioned earlier, we're also putting funds from our capital campaign into the effort as well. And the goal was to leverage all three to, you know, provide it to be able to do more. And Madam Chair, this is Brooke Crumkino, if I may, because yes. of timing, our, mm -hmm. our department has to enter this, the proposals into the system, including the PERC recommendations by May 27th. So that's why we're timing the meeting 
now so that we have enough time to enter that into the system. It'll then go to a budget committee early June to be reviewed and they'll probably want a little more explanation in terms of how the vote was arrived at between the two if you do split it. And then from okay. there, the city commission, the, the, I believe the city manager makes his recommended budget proposal to the, to the city commission for their consideration. All right, but it is okay for us to have the uh, two different votes. It is, To yes. separate those out. Okay, thank you. All right, so we have a proposal on the table at this time, um, proposed by Kay and seconded by Christina um, to approve uh, the chamber's request uh, for $236,000 total, which is $206,000 for operations and $30,000 for SBDC. All right, we're going to take a roll call vote. Adam? Aye. Um, Brad is an abstention. Uh, Christina? Aye, yes. Kate? Aye. Kay? Aye. And I'm an aye. So we have approved the request for operations and SBDC support for the chamber, totaling $236,000 as requested. All right, so let's go ahead and accept a motion for um, the uh, the minority business support. Does anyone want to make a motion? Adam Ritchie here. Uh, I will move that we accept the minority business support. All right, and does anybody like to second that? This is Kate Lorenz, I'll second that. All right, so we have a motion to approve the chamber's uh, request of 200,000 for the minority business support. Motion made by Adam, seconded by Kate. So we'll take a roll call vote. Adam? Aye. Christina? Uh, I I kind of want to add something to that. I I would say nay and it's in its structure now, but can we can we table this and come back? I, I heard a date called May 27th. Can we review this once there's more information that's given? I feel this is a really important topic and subject. I don't want to lose track of how important it is for this to be something that we help develop and help the chamber if they're doing this work. Um, but I'm going to say nay until there's more information that's provided about the minority and women-owned business um, requests and the information that we've been given today. Okay. Um, Kate? Aye. Kay? Uh, this is Kay. Um, I agree with uh, Christina on, on this. Um, I will say that uh, it is, um, it, it would be in our best interest um, to be responsive and creating a training uh, that is with, in partnership with um, individuals of color opposed to after the fact with individuals of color. Um, so with that, I need more information and I am a nay. Okay. And my vote is a yes. So with a 
vote of three yes, two nays, and one abstention from Mr. Burnside. The motion for 200,000 to the Chamber for Minority Business Support does um, pass. All right, anything else from the Chamber before we move on to our third request? Well, I, we just want to thank the, the, the committee for their time and, and their effort this afternoon. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, and Michelle's so disorganized, she apparently lost her uh, agenda, so just a second here. <laughs> Must have got the lead happy there. Um, I believe the last request is from Innovation Park, am I correct? Yes. Yes, All right. that is correct. <laughs> All right. So, um, and who will be presenting today for Innovation Park? Uh, Madam Chair, my name is Laverne Epp. I'm the Executive Chair of the KU Innovation Park. And um, I will be presenting on behalf of my colleague, Adam Courtney, who is uh, unavailable this afternoon. Great. All right. Table is yours, oh. Laverne. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair and um, members of the committee and the commission. I uh, greatly appreciate your taking time to um, visit with us this afternoon. You've received the application and I'm mindful of the time, Madam Chair, so I'm, I'll, I will go quickly here um, and allow you to ask questions. I will follow the, uh, I, I understand that you've all received the 2023 budget transmittal request from the KU Innovation Park. I will just follow that and we'll make a few, I'll highlight it in a couple spots and then open it up uh, for your questions and your comments and uh, whether whatever um, counsel that you have for the KU Innovation Park. Um, in the past, we have approached this group as the Bioscience and Technology Business Center. And so in the past year, we have been undergoing a, a name change to be more reflective of the park's greater purpose, uh, purpose, which is to create uh, really work with the Lawrence community in creating a more diverse, resilient, and a sustainable uh, economy for both Lawrence and Douglas County. Um, and we do that primarily by creating and attracting companies that produce jobs, um, and primarily in the sectors of technology and biosciences, because we are so closely connected with the University of Kansas, and we kind of latch onto the strengths and the assets of the University of Kansas for that type of job creation and uh, company creation. Uh, the one thing that has not changed, even though we've kind of been kind of going through a branding process, is the unique coalition that makes up the park. We have four stakeholders. Uh, the City of Lawrence, uh, Douglas County, the University of Kansas, and the Lawrence Chamber of Commerce. And we're grateful for that collaborative effort. It's very unique. And when you look at um, uh, parks across the country, uh, this is a very uh, distinctive type of a structure. Um, our governing board is made up of representatives of those four stakeholders. And um, they uh, all come. They all come together with a common purpose, which is to kind of uh, commercialize technologies that would create jobs or uh, yeah, create companies that produce jobs. Um, we've just achieved a rather significant milestone. Uh, the park uh, 
Um, and that is that uh, here in the last several months, we have crossed over the 500 job milestone. So all of the companies that have both that are both resident companies or graduate companies in the park, when you collaborate their efforts and the num uh, number of jobs that they've created, it's over 500. Um, so we're uh, really pleased that the companies are doing so well in 2021. And there's, there was a graph in the, um, in the application that indicated that um, the companies in the, the companies in the park system um, had job growth of almost 30%, uh, which was significant coming out of the pandemic. Um, this compares to, you know, a roughly about 3% job growth um, in Lawrence and just slightly under that in the state of Kansas. So our companies are doing very well. We provide support through business resources uh, to try to help them grow and sustain those jobs over a long period of time. We are currently near the completion of our phase three project, which is an additional facility out on West Campus. It's 66,000 square feet. Um, when we complete that building this summer, uh, it will be over 90% uh, occupied. And that building just in and of itself here in the next 24 months will have, will add 200 jobs uh, to our job count. So um, that process is going uh, really pretty well. I'll just make a few comments about our city budget request and that this was also in the application. It contains three components. Um, we are not asking, there is no increase is a part of our request. And so the request is um, fairly typical in what we have requested in the past number of years. The city uh, provides has provided about $200,000 in operational support um, uh, for the park. Then we have the city partners with the county in what we call kind of a small incentive fund, which is $25,000. Uh, the city's portion is $25,000. Um, we use that incentive fund to um, earmark certain really early stage companies to help them get started. Sometimes it's the purchase of a piece of equipment. Sometimes it's hiring a staff person, uh, but that incentive fund has been really very valuable in as much as we use it to leverage other additional funding from the State Department of Commerce. So it's not uncommon for us to take a small piece of that $25,000 incentive fund and contact the State Department of Commerce and say, you know, would you match this fund or would you match it twice or whatever? And then that creates a really small pool of capital to really help some of our early stage companies get launched. So that would be the second component, the 25,000. And then the third component is $75,000, which was committed by the city some years ago to help us with our phase three project it's essentially leverage funding. Uh, we were able to raise um, uh, almost uh, $8 million from the federal EDA to help us with the phase three project. The city's contribution was a key component of that. Um, state and federal governments always say, well, what is the local community doing before we 
provide any funding for you. And it's really key for us to be able to say that. So our funding request is divided into three parts, 200,000 for operational support, 25,000 for the incentive fund, and then 75,000 as the leverage funding for our phase three project. Um, I'll make one other comment. Uh, we have always tried to be fairly well aligned with the city's strategic plan. Uh, but here in the last uh, year or so, as the strategic plan has been adopted, as Britt knows, we have tried to even become more aligned with the city's um, objectives. I'll just give you a quick example. Um, one of the objectives is environmental sustainability, our phase three project. We are investing about two and a half million dollars in that project for um, a green program which will equip the building with solar panels, also a parking lot with solar panels. It's gonna look like the Merck parking lot. Um, and so that is one of those things in which we try to align with the city's long-term strategic objectives. I'll stop there and um, take your questions and your comments. And again, thank you for allowing us to uh, participate and be a part of this process. Thank you, Laverne. All right, any uh, committee members have questions? This is Christina Gentry. I do have a question. Thank you, Laverne, for your presentation. Um, I'll be brief, just kind of asking a little bit about the, the funding, the incentive funding to be precise. Um, can you give and expand a little bit of what incentive funding looks like? Um, um, because if your you know, request is fairly typical and the request you've asked for for years, um, with the only difference really being, um, I would see the phase three project and I, I'm happy to hear that it's environmentally uh, sustainable and that you're going green, that's, that's great news. Um, but I want a little bit more context about this incentive funding. The incentive funding, who have you reached out? Can you give me examples of what those incentives look like and who and how the process goes to even apply for incentives through Innovation Park and through, through your um, organization for an individual looking to receive an incentive? Thank you, uh, um, uh, Ms. Gentry, for your question. Um, we, that fund is available to the companies that are in our system. So it's not, um, you know, we have a lot, of, we, about 62% of our, our 60 plus companies are all early stage companies. And uh, I'll give you just a, several examples of how we use that fund. Um, you know, a number of years ago, we have a company called, well, I'm not, I'll, I need to be, I need to just be a little bit careful because we have non-disclosure agreements with our companies. Um, but we have a company that has a very unique technology that matches foster children with foster homes. And the company needed um, support to hire a new staff person that kind of uh, assisted agencies that were using the technology or the match system. And so um, we used $10,000 of the incentive fund and matched it with another 10,000 that we got from the Kansas Department of Commerce to provide the initial funding for that position. So that would be an example of how we, um, how we use that fund. We talked to our companies about that. They are aware of it. Uh, they know that they are eligible for it from time to time. Um, and sometimes we use it to provide a piece of equipment 
for a company that really needs. Some of our companies need high-end lab equipment. And so sometimes that we use it for that. Typically how it works is that there is a representative of the city, a representative of the county, and then a representative of the park that constitute the panel. Uh, the park then makes a recommendation to that panel, that three-member panel. The panel reviews it and then decides, you know, to, to allow us to use that fund for that purpose or not. Uh, so that's typically how it works. There is a kind of a check and balance on how those funds are used. Um, I want to say just one other thing about this. In the last year, we have carved out a portion of that fund and reserved it uh, specifically for um, women and minority-owned companies because of the try we're attempting to try to be more mindful of that kind of thing, both relative to both recruiting those companies as well as trying to provide some small incentives for those companies to help getting started. Okay, thank you for that, uh, Laverne. Uh, I'd like to have more information on that as well. That information wasn't part of your application. So um, I think I'll probably just do some more research about um, Innovation Park. Um, maybe just one more quick question about the 200 jobs that you are, are building to add. Uh, what are those jobs? Yeah, what what are those jobs? What 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 those jo what are those jobs that you're adding? Uh, the 200 plus jobs, not all 200 of them. Um, I'm assuming you're meaning 200 individuals who can meet or, that job request, but maybe not. Sure. Maybe there maybe no, there are more. That, know that no, that no, yours have. is a good question. We don't we don't um, now the park doesn't hire those people. It's the companies in the park that hires those people. So the park doesn't have a lot of control over who is hired. However, um, what we see is that these jobs range from a kind of entry level positions as well as high level engineering positions. So it really is a broad spectrum of early stage or very early you know, employees that don't have much training. In fact, we have a, a corresponding program with Peasley right now that uh, you know some of our we have introduced um, to our companies, kind of the Peasley program, so that some of those uh, jobs that they have can be hired from Peasley. And then we also have the other end of the spectrum, where you know a couple of our companies need fairly well educated postdoc jobs, you know, in high engineering roles or lab technicians or those kinds of things. So it just depends on the company's, uh, the stature of the company, what, what, what position it's in, in its growth trajectory and what the company's needs are. And so it really kind of runs the full gamut of both early entry jobs and high end um, uh, jobs that are uh, high paying. All right, great. Um, any other questions? I have, I have one question kind of along the lines of what Christina was asking. Um, this is Kate Lorenz, hello, Mr. Epp. I was wondering, I know you um, had in the materials um, an estimate that of the 62 companies, um, about 41% appear to be female or minority um, owned. And I just wondered if you happen to have any um, more detailed or breakout statistics on that um, at the moment. 
Um, we do have some of that and we do track it internally. Um, I don't have it at my fingertips, um, but you know, we can provide it for you if that is of interest to you. Got it. Thank you. And I should, excuse me, I'm sorry. I should say one other thing in several cases, um, you know, I'm thinking of one, and again, we would have to be a little bit careful how we disclose the information. But in a couple of cases, I know that um, we have uh, um, both a, a, a woman co-founder together with a minority co-founder. And so sometimes it's, uh, you know, one company represents both or, yeah. So sure. Thank you. It's a unique. It's a very unique mix and a very unique blend. And um, I would say it makes our portfolio um, just stronger and uh, just uh, more dynamic, frankly. One more question. Um, because I, I've been part of this board, or this membership to this committee for now going on a year. And you did mention that um, you've received funding in the past and asked for this for years. So this is pretty typical. And the, the what you've used for the funding and, and is to meet certain needs. And now that the phase three of this project um, you're not asking for more. You're asking to have a continuation of what you've always asked for in the past. Uh, so that to me means that this is some kind, in some way, been sustainable. Um, and asking for the from the PIRC where these fundings have helped your company, have helped provide um, for these projects to be initiated, and adding the 200 plus jobs and leveraging of the funding and and all the things you're talking about as, as far as incentives sound great to me. Um, from your position. Um, here, Laverne, could you tell me how it, it kind of describes me about the years of this, this funding and how you've improved and increased um, Innovation Park's ideas, um, even from changing your name from Bioscience and Technology Business Center to the center it is now called today? How do you feel that the PIRC recommendation for the fundings as the request has been accepted by the commission um, and then you would receive those. How has this benefited over the past couple of years for you um, at Innovation Park? Um, thank you for the question. It, it's been of tremendous benefit. Um, with the endorsement that we have received from this group, um, uh, it, you know, it obviously impacts you know, the city decision-making um, and it also uh, impacts the way outsiders look at us. I mentioned before that, you know, we all, we have a fairly good relationship with the Kansas Department of Commerce. Kansas Commerce will always ask us, you know, what is the city doing? What are the advocacy, business advocacy groups doing? The economic development advocacy groups doing in Lawrence? What are their thoughts about how, what you're doing? Those kinds of things. So this is tremendously, um, very tremendously helpful. You made, you made another observation, which is a good one. And I appreciate your mentioning it from the very beginning. This is uh, the park has been in existence for 10 plus years. I mean, it's not very old, but from the very beginning, the goal was to get to get the support of local government, uh, both the city and the county and to participate, to help us get it, get some early stage capital to help get this going. And then to build out the infrastructure or build out the organization uh, on uh, by using other sources of funding. 
And I'm pleased to say we've been able to do that. Um, so this, the funding that we get from the city and county really is sort of grassroots and gives us, gets, get us going. And then the rest of the funding that we need for operations, we get through private sources. And um, I remember <laughs> years ago, uh, talking with one of the city commissioners when this thing was first started and said, you know, my, com my commitment as much as I could make it is that, you know, the operational funding that we get, we don't ever have to come back and ask for an increase because we want to make sure that remains steady and that the sources of capital or the sources of funding that we need to make the organization successful come from other sources. And we've been able to do that. And uh, so that, um, and again, that's the strength of the coalition, you know, the city and the county and the university and the chamber and all that has really made that work very effectively. And I appreciate your, um, your observing that. Yes, thank you, Laverne. Thank you once again. And just to kind of follow up with also with what uh, Kate had mentioned as far as demographic and, and having that demographic information, I think I would be very interested in having that as it would be um, able to be received, knowing that there are you know certain individuals that you are disclosed or uh, not able to disclose. Um, but the information of having minority and, and women-owned businesses is important when I think we talked on this kind of extensively today. So I would like to continue that conversation with Innovation Park um, and, and maybe you sharing some more information that you have on your women and Black-owned businesses that uh, you've helped to support in Lawrence. We'd be happy to do that. Thank you. Thanks, Christina. Um, and thanks, Laverne. Any other questions before we take a motion? Right, would anyone like to make a motion? Is everybody fell asleep yet? Hi, Michelle. This is Adam. Uh, I move that we uh, approve this funding request. All right, any second? This is Kay. I'll second. Is that okay? Okay, okay, great. All right, we have a, a motion on the table from Adam to approve um, the Innovation Parks uh, request for a total of 300,000. And that motion was seconded by Kay. And so we will do a roll call vote. Uh, Adam? Aye. Christina? Aye. Kate? Aye. Kay? Aye. And I'm an aye. So with a vote of five A's and one abstaining, um, the motion does carry. So thank you, everyone. And uh, Madam Chair, thank you very yeah. much. We appreciate your support. And um, I want uh, just to finalize, uh, I, I don't know if all of you or any of you have uh, visited the park. I we welcome you to visit anytime. We'd love to have you and to show you what we're doing. It is very cool. I think you're going to have to take you up on that. Yes. Great. We'll look forward yeah. to seeing you then. That was another uh, trip that the Leadership Kansas class took, and they really enjoyed that uh, tour also. So thank you. Can I share it, with all, can I share it with all the state? <laughs> All right. Uh, any other items for discussion? 
Any public comment? All right, um, I will take a motion to adjourn. This is Kay, I motion. All right, any second? Kate Lorenz, I second it. All right, and um, I don't think I have to do a roll call vote. All in favor, aye. Aye. All right. Aye. All right, you guys all have a great evening. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, Britt. Thank you, everyone. Bye, Britt. Bye-bye.